Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Helen Shulman is the author of Lucky Dogs, a novel. Helen is the New York Times bestselling author of six novels, including Come With Me and This Beautiful Life. Helen has received fellowships from the Guggenheim Foundation, the New York Foundation for the Arts, Sundance, Aspen Words, and Columbia University. She lives in New York City. And by the way, she was my teacher at the fiction writing program I attended at Bennington College when I was a junior in high school. Welcome, Helen. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss your latest novel, Lucky Dogs. Thank you so much for having me. As we were just discussing, I've been following your career for many years because I took your class 
for the summer at Bennington College in 1993, which was, what is now, 20, 30 years ago? I mean, that's crazy. Oh my God, it was 30 <laughs> years ago. And we both look great. I yeah, we look amazing. <laughs> But that was such a like a formative summer for me. And I really loved your class. And, you know, while I was there, I had this article come out in Seventeen Magazine. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, this is my whole destiny. It's going to happen in two seconds. And, you know, here I am, 46. So, <laughs> Oh, but it seems like it's really happened, Sibby, in a big way in so many ways. I mean, oh. <laughs> you're publishing Whirlwind and doing so much good. Oh, thank you. Well, it's taken a long time, but, uh, but wait, how did you even, I want to talk about Lucky Dogs, your book, but I also, I'm curious, like, where did the teaching Bennington fit in your life and what's happened like before and after that, like when our paths first crossed and then now? So I went to grad school at Columbia and Jill Eisenstadt and Michael Drinkard, I don't know if you remember them from the faculty, but they were members of my MFA class and they started teaching at Bennington. Jill had gone to Bennington. She was kind of part of that literary mafia out of Bennington with Brett Easton Ellis and um, Donna Tart. And anyway, they got me a job. So I taught there for six summers and I just loved it. I mean, for us, it was like going back to college. We all lived in this place called Welling Townhouse in North Bennington. And we'd like play guitar and smoke pot and (laughs) these great kids. And it was gorgeous. And we were out, it was like fresh air fun for like struggling and writers. So it was great. I ended up going back to teach at Columbia where I got in my MFA and I adjuncted there and Bard and NYU for about 10 years before I ended up at the new school where I'm now the fiction chair I have been for 20 years. Um, So I, I ended up teaching has been one of the parts of my life that has sort of held me and my family together. I teach, I write screenplays sometimes, I write books sometimes, I do whatever I can. Wow. Oh my gosh. What a story. It's so funny to think of all the students and all the stuff they had going on and then all the faculty and all that. It sounds like a novel in and of itself, right? All these- oh, I know. you. I think, I don't know if you were the Robitussin year, but there was one year I was there where all the kids were getting high on Robitussin and it was this huge scandal. <laughs> and we were all like called in to do stuff about it. No way. No, that was not my year. Yeah. We were like listening to Stone Temple Pilots and like, I don't know. I don't remember really anything else about it. <laughs> for the soundtrack. So you have written many books at this point and you had already been a prolific writer at that point. That was 30 years ago. And now your latest book, Lucky Dogs, which by the way is blurred by Jennifer Egan. So, I mean, that's amazing. Who says uh, a brash, sometimes heartbreaking saga, your best novel yet. I mean, that's pretty awesome. Tell me about writing this book and how you came up with the voice of the characters. You know, the, the, the main character has like such a unique point of view and this 24-year-old sort of trying to find herself and having this unlikely compatriot and just the way she writes and thinks and talks. Like, tell me a little more about the backstory of this book and how you came up with the protagonist. I mean, it was a found story in a way. I was just so glued to the Me Too news as it broke. Um, And there was this little piece in it that, yeah, jarred me into action, which was that I had read that Harvey Weinstein through David Boyce at the recommendation of from Ehud Barak and the former prime minister of Israel had hired a spy agency of ex-Mossad spies to silence one of the women who accused him of sexual assault. And 
I was just so shocked by it that, I mean, it took all these really important, wealthy, powerful men, like beating up on this young woman and that this female spy would do that. I just thought, I don't know, it just seemed what would make one woman so utterly betray another woman in that way. And that's, that was what animated me. So that's what got me started. I mean, Mary is nuts. She's a young actress. She's cursed by beauty. Yeah, I read, I circled that actually. I was like, cursed by beauty. Interesting, you know? Well, her beauty has gotten her everywhere, which has gotten her nowhere. I mean, she's emancip- self-emancipated at 15, you know, ends up in Hollywood because she's just so incredibly Margot Robbie, perfect, beautiful American beauty. And she she's taken advantage of because of it. And she actually gets, she's raped because of it, not because of it, because a monster decided to rape her, but her beauty put her in the spotlight. Um, and she's just, she's kind of, to me, she's like Jake LaMotta. She's raging bullets. Like no matter how many times you try to keep her down, she rises up and fights for herself. Her voice came to me really early and easily. It's a very weird voice in a way because it's a huge high-low thing. I think I've always had a high-low thing in my own spoken language. You know, I went to high school in the Bronx in the 70s. I'm so foul-mouthed that (laughs) my daughter was a baby and we were like in a diner somewhere in Brooklyn. She dropped her little French fry on the floor and said, oh shit, and everybody in the... (laughs) Diners looked at like they were going to call, you know, social services. But yeah, I'm pretty, she's, Mary is foul mouthed and so am I and so is my little baby. So, but she's a big reader. She's a kid who grew up in her father's pickup truck and didn't finish high school and, but she always read. So she's got a large vocabulary and a lot to express. How, how often is, does your daughter curse now? She, my daughter is so not cursy. She so I mean, she says things like, oh gosh, she's in politics. So everything she says is correct. So yes, she's very well behaved, much better behaved than her mother, I have to say. Do you worry about having a daughter in politics given sort of the climate overall now or? I'm proud of her. I mean, you know, I think she was moved to action. Um, What she's doing right now, she started out in a campaign and then what she's doing now is um, she's a digital strategist for progressive causes and candidates. Oh, wow. So her heart's in the right place. I, I just don't know if she has a thick enough skin for it, you know. I mean, so far, so good. But there were times like during the last election where she just was so overwhelmed with feeling, you know, she's a very sweet person. But I, I'm for it. I mean, somebody's got to fight back. I'm so proud of her, my students. No, that's amazing. I didn't mean not to be proud. Just, I don't know. I think about my kids going into politics now and I don't know. It just seems like, <laughs> it just seems like such a, a high hurdle to like overcome to get where we want to go. I don't know. I, well, I, you're right. It's very depressing. It's very corrupt. It's very polarized. She's not running for office, at least not yet. She's just okay. trying to support <laughs> yeah. the good guys. There we go. And then the other character, the blonde who comes in, tall blonde woman, and who next thing you know has is brandishing, you know, a weapon and and Mary is thinking, like, wait, you can really do that? Like that's okay, that this is possible. How did she come into the picture? Well, she came in actually part of the found story was that 
the woman who was hired through this sort of strange cabal of men actually was a woman who had grown up during the siege of Sarajevo and had been airlifted to Israel as part of a righteous Gentile program on the part of the Israelis. Her grandfather or great-grandfather, I can't remember which and which is in my book, honestly, had hidden Jews during the war and, and it cost him his life. He ended up dying in the camps and the family moved to Israel. And so when they saw what was happening in Sarajevo, they reached out and brought her family to Israel and then she became Israeli. So, you know, I, I'm like a, a compulsive researcher and I just research all sorts of things. I don't even know why sometimes, but I'm just so moved in such a direction. And I had been really, really interested in civil war um, because of the politics of our country. And um, I'd actually gone to a lecture of uh, Sasha Hamon, Alexander Hamon gave after Trump was elected. And he said, you know, you think you live in this beautiful country. And you think it cannot happen to you, but I am living proof that it can happen to you and it will happen to you. And he was, he's Bosnian. And so I've been thinking a lot about Bosnia and Israel and us. And so all of a sudden, all the pieces came together because there was my fury about the fact that, like now I'm 62. At the time I was, what, 57, 58 when I started this whole thing. And I was like, I can't believe I'm this old and nothing has happened and it hasn't gotten better. And I'm so angry. So it was like fueled by this fire within. And then there were all these ideas I had been playing with. And then here was this little tiny gift of this encapsulized story that landed in my lap. And then I could put all of that emotion and energy into that. So that's how she walked on the stage. So tell me about when you write your books and your process and like, so that's how you get inspired. You start researching, then you go to the writing. Like how long does the writing take? How do you, when do you like to do it the best? How does it work? Or is there no rhyme or reason to it? Well, this one was really nuts because I mean, it was so big. It was such a capacious story. It's, you know, it takes place in Paris and in Bosnia and in Venice beach and Florida, et cetera. I, got, I wrangled a trip out of travel and leisure to go to Bosnia. I I had pitched a story on dark travel, which was like the dumbest thing you could possibly <laughs> do to travel and leisure. Dark travel is when you go experience horrible things in the, you know, like you go to the killing fields. And instead they came back and said, do you want to do luxury adventure travel in Bosnia? And I was like, sure. <laughs> By the way, there is no luxury adventure travel in Bosnia, but Bosnia is an amazing country and really beautiful. So I had that piece. I was starting on that when COVID hit and I had a Guggenheim that year. Usually I'm just teaching around the clock, but I was home and I had COVID and I had long haul COVID. So I was lying in bed and just depressed and scared. So I wrote my book. I mean, there was nothing else to for me to do. So it was a very different writing process than anything else I've ever done. It really came out of just being entrapped. And that was my way out. Uh, I'm, I'm really lucky I because I teach at the new school. I Every year I get a really wonderful research assistant. One of the students works with me. So I, they just feed me all this stuff. 
And some of it's just nuts. I mean, you know, when I call and ask, like, how do I get to the villages in Florida? And, you know, how much is an apartment there? And they're like, okay, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but it, it, it feeds me. Research feeds me. And this book was research. I mean, not everyone of my books is so researched as this one, but there was a lot for me to learn because I was at COVID and I couldn't leave the house. I wrote 12 hours a day, but usually I'm really busy. And what I try to do is write in the morning before I go off to do whatever else I'm doing, teaching and all that, and use my vacations as wisely as I can. When did you get COVID and what what were your symptoms of long haul COVID like? And how long, how long did it last? Like I got COVID. I know when I got it, I got it at a book party, like the last book party in New York was Honor Moore's book party, March 9th, maybe. I know because I talked to someone who was an old friend of mine who was elderly and she kind of coughed on me a little. And in two weeks I was as sick as a dog and she was, she had died. Oh my gosh. So terrible. So I got it around the 15th of March and I couldn't walk to the park for, I don't know, three months. I mean, I I guess it was six weeks that I really was down and then it was like a slow, slow to be able to get any stamina. But I had symptoms for almost two years. So, I mean, it doesn't, it didn't stop me, but it was hard. It was hard. I had a lot of my problems that I was just nauseous all the time. So I've been on this drug that they give to chemotherapy patients for two years now. And that helps me. I mean, I'm, I get through the day, but it really knocked me out. And I, I wasn't that sick with COVID. I mean, compared to how sick people get, you know, I remember calling my doctor and she said, look, call me again if you can't breathe, but otherwise stay home and don't see anybody. So that's what I did. Oh, oh my gosh. Anyway. I'm sorry. All oh, that's stories. okay. I'm okay. No, I know, but just... I just the reverberations of that time period for so are going to be felt for so long in so many ways. Anyway, it's just uh, staggering when you stop to think about it sometimes, which obviously we don't anymore as much because we're all so busy again. And yet it was so recent. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think people understand how traumatized they actually are. You know, we just move on. It's like a war. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, 
be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything, it might be time to work on those things. And I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help And I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy. And you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. Yeah. Of course, then like all the anxiety rates are up and everybody's, you know, inside. It's like seeping out, right? From inside out. When I see it with my students and my students' students, you know, because I, I run this program where formed with my students where we train MFA students to go teach in area middle schools and high schools. And so I see how the the younger kids are so traumatized and how traumatized my students are. It's kind of beautiful to watch them to work together and they all find solace in literature, which is to me sometimes the only solace. So, I mean, that part's nice, but, you know, they've just been ravaged. What are some of the things you do as like chair of the entire fiction department at the new school? Like what are some of your big responsibilities and what's Something you love. Well, I'm the responsible most. for I get almost a hundred students, and I'm their, you know, first person of defense if they have an issue or problem, or they're if they're happy, I like them to come see me too. <laughs> I have a faculty that I try to help. I mean, I see myself as a liaison between the faculty and the students and the administration. I bring in writers. Uh, we used to have a really lively um reading series, and we did all the big events, the NBCC awards and the Triangle Awards and the Story Prize. And uh, then with COVID, everything went online and shut down. But now we're back. I just had uh, Lance Samantha Chen come in. She's the head of the Iowa workshop, and she has this beautiful new book that's based on the brothers Karamazov, uh, the family Chow, it's called. And so she came and read and spoke to my students. So we're, we're getting back in business with that. There's a lot of social work in it right now because between Black Lives Matter and all the anti-Semitism, anti-Asian stuff, students are pretty traumatized, but we help them find agents and get published. We have parties for them. We love them. (laughs) They're awesome. They really are. They're the nicest students. Oh, that's amazing. When you said you write screenplays sometimes, have any of your screenplays been made into film? One, one was made, it was an adaptation of one of my books called P.S. The director, who's a nice guy, and I had a really different sensibility. So I, I'm not, I don't love the movie, um, but there was they had a great cast. And it was really interesting for me to watch it get filmed. Laura Linney was in it and Gabriel Byrne and Paul Rudd and Marsha Gay Harden. And yeah, so uh, it was exciting to do. 
I've written a bunch of them and they've got, I can't tell you how close I've gotten. I mean, I guess that's the screenwriter's lament. You know, I worked with Coppola. We were like weeks away from, from shooting. We were just, we had casting problems and money problems and it all fell apart. I mean, everything was like that, but I didn't get depressed until I actually had the movie get made. <laughs> and then it was like, it, you know, because I always had fantasies about them. They'd come back, you know, I could see it in my mind, but this was done. And again, the actors were great. Topher Grace played this young boy. He was really cute and sexy and sweet. And so, yeah, it was interesting. Wow. Well, still fun to get to see it through to completion. I mean, a lot of people come close and then they don't get that one last thing. So. Yeah, no, it was fun. And I was on set and I walk across Columbia's steps in the opening, I think, credits or something. <laughs> so yeah, I got my moment. Oh, well, that's great. Are you working on anything now? Any books? I have a sh- short story collection that uh, Knopf signed on to. Uh, when I moved over to Knopf with my editor, we just moved together this past year. So I, in between things, I tend to write a short story. So that means maybe every three to five years, I write a short story and they've accumulated. So I owe her one or two and I need to get them into shape. So that's <laughs> next. And I have an idea for the next novel, which I think will be a big departure, but mm. that's probably all I can say. Uh, maybe it will be historical. Oh, okay. Now that you're, now that you've gotten the research bug, you know. Yeah. Keep digging. <laughs> do you have any advice for aspiring authors? I mean, I know you do, but would you share some? In in which realm can you can you be a little more? Okay. Let's try someone who is desperate to publish their fiction for the first time. I think one thing would be not to be so desperate because <laughs> a lot of times I see students try to publish too early and then they kind of wear out their welcome instead of getting the work to the best shape it could be in. Not that People don't change in publishing and the world doesn't change, but it it can also be kind of, it can make you feel bad to go out too early and get Uh rejected. I think it always helps if somebody can sing your praises. If you're looking for an agent or an editor, if you don't know somebody like that yet, then I'd say go to agents and editors night at your local university, or we have writing spaces in New York that often hold agents and editors nights. Um, we do it at the university, at our university. You can go to a conference just so you get to meet somebody so you get their name. You can certainly submit cold, but it's easier to get noticed if there's something warm about your letter and then just keep going. I mean, one thing is to just, the minute something comes back, I'd say send it out right again because it's not going to do any good sitting in your drawer. So first take it as far as you can. And it will happen. It happens. Some, it kind of is like popcorn. Like you try, you try, you try. You live in a land of no, or at least that was my experience. And then somebody bought something and somebody bought something. And then all of a sudden it starts to pop. So you just have to really be patient. I remember when I was at Columbia, John Irving came. And one of the things we asked him was oh, how could you tell who was going to be published you know, when you were teaching 10 years later? And he said, the ones who kept at it. That's how you can tell. There are some that are so talented, but they burn out because it's a tough game. And then there are others who just will not stop. And I think there's a lot to that, you know, really just keeping, just keep going, keep working. 
it's a tough job, but it's a good job. Love that. I swear he came to the Bennington program. Did I make that up? I felt like he came and spoke to our whole program that summer. It could be. I, I felt like he did. Bennington is the, I mean, I know we shouldn't just reminisce about our days together in the ninth, early 90s, but it was a very special program because there was an adult writers conference at the same time as there was this kids program. Mm -hmm. So you could take advantage of all of that, but it was also so artsy and supportive. Anyway, I love teaching there. It's fun. It was really great. Helen, thank you. This was so great. Thank you for the great read. Congratulations, especially on your move to Knopf and all of that. Who is your editor, by the way? Uh, it's Jennifer Barth, and I love her. Oh, She's great. She's really tough. She's really smart. She's very good <laughs> acting. It's what I need. <laughs> it's what we all need, I'm sure. <laughs> anyway, congratulations, and I'm glad we reconnected. Yeah, me too. Thanks so much. All right. See, thank you. I hope I'll see you again. <laughs> I hope to see you too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 